downtown Detroit recording live. Prepare yourself for a hoppy drive. If you're chilling at home, pop that crowler and just kick back for the next two hours. It's the end of the week, so here's to the weekend. It's Better on Draft with Rob, Matt, Nick, and Ken. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 235. My name is Ken. This is Better on Draft. Boy, have I had a week. I will tell you guys right now. Um, (laughs) Definitely one trip to the hospital later. Nobody should ever in their life have to suffer from back spasms. Um, So because I am on medication, so you all know, I am only drinking my Cherry Coke Zero. Um, No alcohol or booze for me today. Drink responsibly, folks. That's what the labels on the, uh, the little pill bottles say. So, <laughs> as I drink responsibly, I want to go around and uh, introduce everyone, see how you're all doing. Nick, how are you doing? Um, I, I regretfully, unfortunately for you, I'm doing a little bit better. It, it is the birthday weekend, so I'll be drinking for you tonight and tomorrow and Sunday <laughs> when my actual birthday is. Um, Doing it like I normally do in Nick fashion, the double fist. Um, for the, the mini beer, I got the crop duster from uh, Grand Armory. Grand Armory, thank you. Mm-hmm. And then from Storm Cloud, the Night Swimmer Stout. Got that in the can, put it in the glass. The Cheers glass from Bo- from Boston, if you can tell. Can you make that out? Yeah, Cheers. Yep. Yep, there you go. As, as Ted Danson said, we're closed. We're closed. So, <laughs> so not doing too bad in the end. So. Awesome to hear. Wendy, how are you? What are you drinking? Oh, looks like, Wendy, we're having some uh, audio issues. We have no audio. No, no, we are not hearing any audio from you. Uh, Hit so that on mute right, button. There we there go. We, we got you. We got you. Go. The beauties of live audio. <laughs> Let's try it again, Wendy. How are you? All right. Am I good now? Yes. Good. All right. <laughs> so I did not have any hospital visits this week, which is fantastic after my month. Um, <laughs> I uh, actually pre-gamed a little bit with the uh, White Chocolate Cherry Milkshake IPA Queen of Hearts from Supernatural. Tastes a little bit like rock and rye. Um, I'm enjoying that one thoroughly. Uh, but I also have a new Glarus spotted cow. My Wisconsin mule came through. So thanks, oh. Kim. <laughs> awesome. Rob, how are you? And uh, what are you drinking? Uh, things are going pretty good over here. We're in uh, week two of, of virtual schooling. And I, I got to say that, uh, you know, for, for being somewhat uh, quarantined in this house and doing schoolwork that if, from what I'm seeing is that these kids are, are getting it done and uh, I'm pretty proud of them right now. Cause you know, that with everything that we have to live through that they are, are kicking some ass. So um, just from that alone, I'm, I'm doing pretty damn good. <laughs> and plus I finally finished a refinance on my house after five months. Hey. Of the refi, so the refi is done. Uh, so <laughs> definitely good with that. Uh, right now I am also double fisting. I grabbed, um, one of the bottles, courtesy of Tavor, the Axis Mundi from uh, Mad Tree Brewing. Uh, and also one of the bottles that is very difficult to get a hold of, especially in the not-so-great state of Michigan, because you can't get it here in Michigan, is New Glarus Strawberry Rhubarb. Oh, nice. 
which is tasting very nicely right now. <laughs> Dan, how are you? Has it? Uh, has, have we broke under 100 this week? Oh, no, not at all. We were at 110 yesterday. What are you talking about? <laughs> what day? What day is that? 50? That's like 55, 56, somewhere in there. I've stopped counting. More worried about the fires surrounding us on all sides. That's kind of a bigger issue. Well, uh, what what you got in your glasses over there? I'm over here celebrating Nick's birthday, especially since I saw you at gas station sushi a little while ago. That was um, not gas station sushi. That was not. <laughs> it was from a restaurant. Okay. You, you sure. Can't, you, you can't dine. See this? <laughs> yep. For I the do. people I... that are not watching on video, I'm flipping Dan. <laughs> Anyways, I've got a off. I've got a new Holland Dragon's milk. Had to go back to the one of the best out there. Is, is that the basic one? Yeah, just the regular yeah. one. The regular one. Yeah, and then I've got the Half Acre Original Reaper Stout. Not a bad beer. Probably would pass on it again. It's kind of watered down, but mm. gets the job done at four in the afternoon. Well, um, the odds of two people uh, bringing in some beer from out of state because we can't get it in this state, that is New Glarus beer. Uh, let's introduce our guest. Why don't you tell us who you are and uh, what you do? Uh, I'm Dan Carey, and I'm the brewmaster at the New Glarus Brewing Company. Brewmaster at New Glarus, welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking your time. Uh, New Glarus is out of what state? Uh, you've ever heard of Wisconsin? I, so- I have. <laughs> oh no oh come on <laughs> um and you guys distribute to how many states grand total of one total of one all right <laughs> um so i'm gonna ask the first question and kind of just uh slowly hand it off to everyone what was the very first beer that was the new glarus brand what was the first beer that you brewed over there we started in 1993 as a lager brewery, and the first beer we made was called Edel Pills. It was like a Pilsner based on a Czech style of beer. Nice. So I guess in terms of... Hold on, my volume went out. Why did this happen again? Okay. <laughs> there we go all right continue hi yeah. everybody okay all right so tell us about the obviously new glarus has been around for quite a while um i guess give us a a history of uh your experience in the brewing world and what brought you into creating new glarus well i started uh I, when i was in college I, I went to university of california at davis and I studied food science, mainly brewing science, but also dairy science and winemaking because it's agricultural school. And during the summers, I worked uh, as a supervisor at a peach cannery in Emeryville, California, uh, working the night shift. And I also studied brewing. So I did an internship at a um, River City Brewing Company in Sacramento, California. And uh, when I graduated, I worked for mainly small breweries, craft breweries. Back in the early 80s, there was like 15 breweries, total uh, craft breweries in the country at that time. I think we were probably one of the first five, the brewery that I was working at. I I did that for some years, and then I went over to Germany and uh, with my wife and children and uh, near Munich and worked at the Eyinger Brewery as an apprentice brewer. I came back and I uh, went to Siebel's uh, Technical Brewing School for a 13-week program. I worked for a company building breweries, uh, JV Northwest out in Portland, Oregon. Then I went to work for Anheuser-Busch. And at that point, 
you know, I'd pretty much done everything from the smallest breweries to the largest brewery in the world. And uh, my wife really did not want to be a, a corporate wife because working in a large brewery, uh, in a lot of ways, it's a lot like the military in that I was the equivalent of a lieutenant as a supervisor. And when you're the wife of a supervisor or a lieutenant, you kind of have to kowtow to the captains and, and uh, higher ups uh, uh, wives. And so she had to, you know, put on Christmas parties and teas and all the stuff, but she hated. So she said, um, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to leave. I'm going to uh, go back home to Wisconsin. And um, if you come with me, I'll build your brewery and we'll, we'll make our own beer which is literally what she said. So um, I said, okay, I guess I'm going to quit. And we, uh, we packed up in a U-Haul and uh, moved uh, to Wisconsin, which is her, her home state. I'm originally from San Francisco. And so we moved to Wisconsin, which um, we got here in uh, uh, like July 1st in 1993. And it was like about 800 degrees and 300% humidity. And being a kid from San Francisco, it was uh, kind of uh, shocking. Um, and so basically we, uh, we, we found a warehouse and we negotiated uh, a deal with the owner that, uh, we traded stock for, for, um, uh, capacity for getting into the building. He gave us one year free to be in the building. We didn't have to pay anything down. And, um, uh, after a year we had to buy the building. And so, uh, during our time together, we had, bought old houses, fixed them up and made a little bit of money, moved into a new house, kind of, you know, nowadays they call it flipping houses. And we did that and we had like $40,000 saved up. And so we took that money and we started to build this brewery in 93. It was just basically me and her and uh, her dad was helping us. And uh, we just started building the brewery and, and she found equipment at an auction, bought up old brewing equipment and, um, we were just about out of money and um, we found enough investors to get seed money to get the brewery going. We sold stock. Um, uh, at that time, Schreier Malting gave us 120 days credit so we didn't have to pay for malt and we just barely made it start the brewery and we've just been literally running since then. So it's been uh, whatever that is now since 93, 27 years of uh, pushing steadily growing. The first year we made 300 barrels and last year we made uh, about 240,000. Wow. So you said it in, and I, I heard that, well, actually what you said is you were from San Francisco. Uh, I had heard that the first time you had a beer, you were six. Oh, oh yeah! I always love beer. <laughs> Would you have like a Bush Light or? Oh, Olympia, Olympia, oh, even better. <laughs> but with with that love of that 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 taste of the beer that you had, like starting so young, um, mm. when did you start? Um, when did you start getting into the idea of just making beer, or, or rather, when did you actually make your first beer? Um, well, well, first of all, really the first, you know big beer that I had being from San Francisco was Anchor. And that was, I was probably 13 or 14 years old. And that, you know, Anchor uh, steam beer, it just, the exotic label, exotic bottle, and this big flavor and dark, rich character just absolutely blew me away. Um, and I, uh, I I didn't do much home brewing, but I, I did home brew a few times, all grain brewing, 
when I was in college. I, I started college in, uh, in 1978, so probably 1980, I started uh, thinking around with home brewing. Mm-hmm. And Anchor's, Anchor is, I guess for, for myself, that is actually the first brewery I ever took a tour at. Uh, so that is a really, it, it is a really nice place that they have in there. Beautiful. Uh, uh, but obviously you said that uh, you've apprenticed in Munich. Uh, one thing I've always seemed to notice is that anyone that goes and makes beer in Germany, when they come back, they tend to make beers that stick to style. Is I yeah. mean, is, is that an area that you know? Obviously, we you've been doing this for quite a while. Is that something that you will that you will always stay true to? Yeah, I would say so. I think you're right. I think that's a astute observation. Uh, um, German uh, technology is such that you kind of you, you stick you, you stick with the process, and this is how beer is made, and this is how you do it, and uh, also. You know, one thing about German beer is it's so good that um, you pretty much all Hellas, okay, there's differences, but a Hellas tastes like a Hellas, a Pils tastes like a Pils. No matter where you go, you're pretty much guaranteed that if you order uh, a beer anywhere in Germany, it's going to be a good beer and it's going to be true to style. So that, that kind of rubs, rubs off on you after, uh, after a while. And it's a way of thinking that you... Um, a disciplined way of thinking. That's why Germans, I think, make such good engineers because everything is disciplined. You know, like like they're not like, hey, well, let's let's try this today. You know, let's try that today. They kind of stick with what works. And oh, it's, it's and, true. We wouldn't have went to the moon with them. That is that is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's and, it's it's a it's a fact. So just yeah. pointing it out. Yeah, I knew a guy uh, uh, whose whose father was a tank commander. In the, in the German army, and he said uh, that the reason why the Americans beat us is he was a tank commander. He said, when our tanks broke down, they were so complex that we had to sit on the side of the road and wait for engineers to come and fix the tanks. With the American kids, when their Sherman tanks broke, they just got out and using whatever they could find on the side of the road, they'd make their tanks run. And so they were able to keep going because they could adapt. Whereas the Germans, uh, their technology was so advanced that they weren't able to do that. Yeah. Now, one of those styles, of course, that that kind of comes from that area, um, being loggers. It loggers tend to not be as popular here in the U.S. I mean, obviously, every brew, almost every brewery has one, um, but there always seems to be that. Oh, I'm gonna. I got to get that new barrel aged stout, or I need to get that new hazy IPA, or I, I need to get. Well, it's it's September. I need to go get that pumpkin ale. Sorry, right. machine. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> talk to us about why loggers are so good, and do you think that you know we we had last year there was the uh, an article that basically was asking people what was going to be the it style of 2020. And a lot of brewers wanted loggers to be that style. Um, Is there, do you see a path where loggers can kind of take the world by storm again? You know, the way hazy IPAs have done over the last three years. No, no. Uh, I I think think again, you're astute that, um, that, 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 
brewers, if, if, if a brewer goes to a brew pub and they, you know, all brew pubs, they have like eight IPAs and then they might have a Pilsner or, or whatever. Every brewer, almost every brewer will drink the Pilsner. So lager beers are what brewers drink. And um, because they're, they're refreshing, they're drinkable, they're different than the norm of what we're used to. And um, uh, they're really hard to make and they're about subtlety and you can drink a good lager all night. Um, but customers don't appreciate that. And they, and they really, you know, I've had people in Wisconsin say to me, look, if I want a lager, I'm going to drink Paul Honor. I'm going to drink Czech Bar. I'm going to drink Pilsner Urquell. Why would I drink an American lager when I can get a uh, draft um, uh, spot in Oktoberfest? So, so, and also lager beers, particularly in the English tradition and the American tradition are somewhat dumbed down, you know, yellow fizzy, that whole yellow fizzy thing. And so um, for people are looking for impact, they're not looking for subtlety, whereas brewers want something subtle to drink, people want impact. And so they lean towards more flavorful beers. Um, and, but for us, it's sort of like, yeah, been there, done that, been there, done that. Right. Now, I guess going to another style, which I think from pretty much what I was reading was that uh, obviously with with breweries, they all have their trials and tribulations. I saw that that you guys had to deal with a, uh, uh, you know, in the early years that you had to deal deal with a, a sewage charge from the federal government in, in trying in, you know, trying to keep everything running. And the How'd big you know beer. That? What was that? How do you know that? <laughs> How you did you know that, Rob? Yeah, Rob, to explain that. <laughs> I, I'm a re- I'm not a researcher by trade, but you know, I, I look up. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the big beer that really it seemed like that really took you over the hump was, of course, one of the ones that Wendy has right now, and and I have right now is the Spotted Cow. Yeah. Um, talk to us about you know coming up with. You know this because I believe this is a farmhouse ale. Um, call it, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess talk to us about that beer and how that has really, how that really catapulted New Glarus into the beer scene. It's total dumb luck, uh, and <laughs> and the reason is is because we've made two hundred different beers, and they're all our children, and we all want them to succeed out in the world. So Spotted Cow was in no way any different than any of the other 199 beers that we've ever brewed. It was just another one. We, we sit down every year and we say, hey, why don't we brew this or why don't we brew that? And uh, uh, this beer was just simply another beer. So what had happened was uh, there is a um, open air museum not far from us where they have like homesteads, like they have like a German and a Yankee homestead and Norwegian homestead of all these immigrants that had come to Wisconsin and they, they, they would buy these buildings and move them to this relatively large tract of land. And you walk through the woods and you visit these farms and their people in period outfits and, you know, they're cooking and they're working the land with horses and all the stuff that, you know, I'm talking about open air museum. I went to the German homestead, which was like a, a 1850s uh, homestead. And in the, in their root cellar, they had a crock pot of beer. And I thought to myself, oh, I wonder what beer in Wisconsin would have uh, tasted like in those days. What would they have made? And I thought, well, you know, uh, Pilsners were just coming about. 
Um, they would have used local ingredients. Maybe they would have got some nice hops from Czech Republic if they were a successful farmer. It would have been unfiltered. It would have been a top fermented beer because it's made without refrigeration. And so I said, I'm going to brew this type of beer that I think it would have in a, in a farm in the, you know, in, in the late 1800s in Wisconsin. And just for fun. So I made this beer and, and we had won an award for one of our beers, Belgian Red. And we went to England to receive the award in the springtime when we were driving around the country just on a, on a Sunday and there were sheep lambs everywhere. And my wife said, what's the deal? There's no people out here. All there are is sheep. There's sheep everywhere. And then she said, you know, I bet that's what people think when they come to Wisconsin. What's the deal with all these spotty cows? And then she said, you know, that'd be a great name for a beer. And I said, oh, I think I have the perfect beer for that. So we made this beer and um, our wholesalers were not very happy. They're like, come on, dude, we're not going to be able to sell a beer called Spotty Cow. Who's going to go into a bar and order a beer called Spotty Cow? I had one wholesaler literally come into the brewery on a, on a you know how old men are, uh, um, came in and he started, yelling, he started yelling at me and saying, beers are supposed to be called like Schlitz or Miller or Coors. <laughs> Where's my Schlitz? Spotty <laughs> Cow. But for whatever reason, you know, it, it, it just took off. It wasn't like we did anything. We, we, we brew beer and we bring it to the distributors and, and they sell it. And this beer just kept selling and kept selling and sold faster and faster and faster. And it, it took us by surprise. It was not, it wasn't like we had a focus group and we set out to do this. I mean, frankly, like all brewers, we brew beers with the hope that we're going to sell two or 300,000 barrels of it but rarely accomplished that. And this, for whatever reason, struck a chord with people in Wisconsin. And right. Yeah. And I guess we might as well get this one completely out of the way because, you know, there's, there's always the people that, that will bring this up, and I'm sure this has been brought up more than enough times. Um, but obviously with New Glarus, um, to kind of paraphrase one of our other breweries that was here in uh, in Michigan that used the slogan but doesn't use it anymore, being uh, <laughs> Michigan, I know where you're going. <laughs> Michigan brewed, Michigan only. This right now is Wisconsin brewed, Wisconsin only uh, for right now because obviously you guys were in Oregon, New York City, you're in Chicago, yeah. um, but there is a lot of popularity nationwide i mean as you can kind of tell with us alone because of um my craziness with trying to get strawberry rhubarb and that was that was a feat in itself um and truthfully that is probably one of the best damn strawberry beers ever i mean the, the amount of strawberry that that comes in this is is amazing um <laughs> but is there is there something is there like a sign or something that can happen in the beer world that will a, uh, put you into the area of distributing there, out of state again? Um, you know, I, I never like to say never, but it's not really in our plans because um, the uh, um, the problem is that 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 breweries that continue to grow for the sake of growth, um, you you can go up quickly, but you can also come down quickly. And um, I've heard story, I've been in the brewery business since the 80s when breweries were closing and nobody wanted uh, local beer. So I know that 
things can be difficult and that and that it's a good time right now, but it's not always going to be good times. And so our vision for our company has always been to be uh, uh, economically strong. And um, when you sell beer a long way away, um, unless you support it with marketing and advertising and salespeople, it becomes very, very expensive. So, you know, business is a lot like war in the sense that you're only as strong as your supply chain. And, and, and we're better off having a strong relationship with our wholesalers, our retailers, and our customers in Wisconsin. They know us, they know what they get with us, and we're not fighting um, in 50 states. Uh, it's sort of like farming in the sense that if you're a good steward of your land, you, you, you may not be the, the richest farmer, but you'll be successful in the long term as opposed to slash and burn farming. And if, if you sell farther and farther and farther afield, your numbers keep going up. And then you imagine that you're, you know, you're better than you, you, you start to believe your own press. You believe that you're better than you really are. Whereas if you, if you have to rely on this, on people drinking your beer every day, it's gotta be something that's consistent and shelf stable. And so it, it's, it's more economical and it requires, it forces us to be a better brewer than say, hey, we're gonna come up with a new beer and put it out on the shelf and people check it off their list on ratebeer.com and they move on to the next beer. That's not a sustainable um, business plan. I mean, we're, what do we got? 350 million, 360 million people in the country. Eventually, everybody's gonna try it and be done with it. And that's not a good long-term sustainable goal. But more importantly, we're, we're a small company and we really don't want to be uh, trying to take on the world. It's expensive. You know, every barrel of beer that you, that you capacity that you build is going to cost you at least $100 or more. Uh, so, um, and, and it doesn't really pay when you ship your beer all the way across the country. We rather be small and control our business. Let me ask you, you brought up a good point right there. You're saying once everyone tries it, no one's going to want it anymore. I'm drinking, well, it's gone now. I'm drinking a dragon's milk in Arizona. This is a Michigan distributed beer. And until not that long ago, you couldn't really get it out of the Midwest. So, I mean, if it's a good beer, like take Spotted Cow, for example, you know, I've had it. The only time I've drank that is here because someone brought it to me in Arizona when they were in Wisconsin. It's one of the few yellow beers I would drink and I would drink it regularly. Don't you think with how good it is that people would continue to buy it if you distributed it to other states outside of Wisconsin? And that's a good point. And, and, and I, I would hope they would, but the problem would be if, if we sell um, 250,000 barrels in our home state of Wisconsin, if we sell in 50 states and, and you know, six countries, then maybe we would be, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't mean this, in a, in a vain way, but maybe we'll be a million barrels or two million barrel brewery or bigger. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a podunk kid from San Francisco. <laughs> no way that I can run a two million uh, uh, barrel brewery. Uh, the amount of money that it would take is huge. So now all of a sudden I've taken on a we, my wife and I, because my wife, frankly, is the brains of the business. She's an entrepreneur. She would take on um, she would have to, uh, there's not enough local banks to give us that kind of money. So now we have to take on investors 
We need uh, specialists to help us um, and uh, we lose control of the business. And then all of a sudden um, we have uh, vampire capitalists who own the business saying, hey, what's the deal here? You're paying too much money for your mall. Why are you paying your people too much, so much money? You can get, I can, we can find labor cheaper than what you're paying. Um, mm-hmm. You need to expand, you need to expand. And all of a sudden our little beautiful little community in New Glarus, Wisconsin, become uh, a different entity, and uh, it's not—it's not who we are. It's like saying to somebody, you know, like I'm sure you have a local restaurant that you like to go to, and they have really nice food, and it's really special, and you go there from time to time. But if all of a sudden they they uh, uh, franchise, and there's one in every every uh, large avenue across America, it's a totally different business. And the, the guy who's in the kitchen cooking, he ain't cooking anymore. And I, I want to still be cooking. See, and, and that's the thing I'm kind of thinking about with Yingling and their whole plan to start moving their stuff over to the Western states is that in, in looking at your situation, I, I kind of like that idea where you're just kind of sitting back. And like, I guess for, like from my own perspective, just kind of sitting back and seeing what happens to them. Because while they have a distribution map that they're now pushing to, to more states, and we'll see what happens to them. <laughs> and you guys can just sit put. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I would say that it's, it's, it, it is hard because we, for us, because we're having to, uh, we have to keep um, the, the share of what we call share of mind with our wholesalers, share of mind with our customers, share of mind with our retailers. And as you know, there's now a brewery on every single freaking corner in every single. Yeah, that's, ain't that the right. truth? <laughs> so uh, it's difficult for us to stay relevant. So so we are peddling really hard. And as far as youngling, they <laughs> they they stood the step. They're a family business that has stood the test of time. So I would never uh, underestimate um, their uh, tenacity. You know, uh, running a brewery, anybody that's done it for a long time knows that it's a bare knuckle fist fight and uh um there's it's like water polo everybody's all you see is heads bubbing you know, popping above <laughs> water but there's a lot of kicking and pinching and scratching going on uh and it actually in the beer business there's a lot of knives underwater um so <laughs> i think yingling um they're gonna do fine they're yeah. in the business they're gonna do fine Definitely. All right. Well, I'm going to pass the rock over to Wendy. So I think Wendy's got a couple of questions here. <laughs> I do. So a couple of the things that you said um, really resounded really well with me. Um, over the years, I've read a lot about um, you and your wife talking about how your employees are so important to your business and how you want to make sure that you're taking care of them. So I just wanted you to kind of tell us a little bit about that philosophy and how it may have positively affected your business. Yeah, so that's sort of, uh, it's maybe, uh, I'll risk sounding sappy here, but uh, there's, we've been impacted by, you know, we're all, we're all um, a products of our life experiences, how we were raised and how we were educated and things that befall us. So, so um, my, uh, from my point of view, I was, I, I was, went to 12 years of Catholic education and the last four years were with Jesuits. And the thing about Jesuit priests is that they, they, they don't, 
they don't discount science. So science and humanity are, are together the same. So God and science are the same. And the, probably the biggest Christian ethos that you learn from, from Jesuits and, and, Saint, and Pope Francis is a, is a Jesuit is that you are your brother's keeper. So it's important for you, whether you believe in God or whatever, it doesn't really matter to me. What is important as a moral person, you are responsible for the people around you, for your family and for your employees. So, you know, again, I apologize, but as a man, I'm responsible to my people. So that means that I have to do whatever I can to take care of those around me. Then my father was, uh, he was a medic in World War II, and then he was a, a ambulance driver in the city of San Francisco. He was a shop steward. Never, this is a non-union brewery, but never in my life have I ever crossed a picket line, and I never will. So even though I own a brewery, or am part of a brewery, um, I understand labor. I respect labor, and I know that the working person is really what matters. So for us, and my wife's uh, father was a, a shop steward in the automobile in a General Motors plant. So we come from labor, come from lower middle class labor. We weren't rich, so so that's how we view the world. And and so if you think of business, you know most people think of business like a like a triangle. And, and, and the owner, the managers, the highest paid people are up here, and then the workers are down here. Well, we flipped it. So, so a servant leader means that you're down here, and you, you hold up everybody above you. And when they rise, you rise. So we are like, I say that we're like um, a uh, pit crew for a race car driver. And frankly, the people who are, who are working on the bottling line, that are milling malt and carrying bags of malt. Those are the real heroes because frankly, if I don't show up for work, the bottle filler is gonna keep spinning. If the filler operator doesn't show up, nobody's gonna get beer. So who's more important in this picture? So it's it's a it's a practical capitalism, it's servant leadership, and it's it's a moral imperative, and, and simply put, you know, if, if you take care of your people, if you take care of your machinery, if you invest in your system, they're going to pay you dividends. So for someone to, you know, when I see corporations that are laying off people and then paying their uh, managers million dollar bonuses, it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a moral uh, failure and those businesses generally end up failing. So when, when we take care of our people, they take care of us and they make better beer. And so it's, a, it's an investment. It's, a, it's, a, it's just, it's, it's so clear to me that I don't understand why anybody would do anything else. Anything else is abusive. Wow. Oh. Agreed. So I, <laughs> I did read wow. somewhere um, that AB InBev actually made an offer on New Glarus. And you guys uh, turned them down. Actually, they tried. They did try. <laughs> so my question is, um, not only obviously, why did you go that route? But um, how good did it feel to tell your former bosses, thanks, but we're good? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because 
it's it it wasn't it was my wife that, that told them no thank you i'm um I, i'm a technician i'm i'm not an entrepreneur i'm not a business person i'm a, i'm just like i'm just a simple village brewer deb my wife is a is very much a business person so when i left anheuser-busch i was uh good friends with with all of the people that i worked with and all uh, everybody that i knew and so one of my friends a brewmaster said, hey, um, some guys want to come by your brewery and take a look. And, um, you know, I said, okay, well, have them talk to Deb. And so Deb said, you know, the brewery's not for sale. And they said, no, no, we just want to come by. We just want to come by. She said, look, look, we're not going to sell the brewery. And they <laughs> said, no, we just want to come by and talk to you. So they came by and, you know, you can, you can tell a lot by people by looking at their shoes. And they had really expensive <laughs> shoes on. <laughs> and, and a brewery <laughs> by the way they were not brewers and so she uh, politely uh led them around the brewery and showed them the brewery and you know tasted beer and whatever and it was it was one of those wisconsin days when it was really that wet nasty snow that's kind of half slushy and melting oh. and, uh, these guys wandered around and they said hey you know can can we uh, sit down and see if maybe we can work out a deal here or, or we, how we can help you uh, um, expand your business or whatever? And so she was walking with them towards the door, opened the door and showed them out into the slushy snow with their uh, multiple hundred dollar shoes and said, uh, no, thanks. Uh, we're good. And she closed the door and I think it made her feel good. But I was a little <laughs> So speaking of Deb, um, I do have um, another question too, as a woman who's interested in the brewing industry. um, I know that she has been a pretty solid advocate for women in the industry. Um, How has New Glarus kind of evolved or done things to help her do that? Uh, Her personally? You're saying, well, um, so as I said, she's a a fighter. She's a tough business person. And so I deal with all things brewery related. I, I design the brewery, uh, the equipment. I order the malt. I order the hops. I brew the beer. I you know get the yeast. I do all of those technical things. She does all of the business and with the hard part, raising money, um, negotiating with wholesalers, um, dealing with uh, retailers. And uh, it's it's better now, but it's not. Um, it's far from perfect. Like a lot of things. Um, that uh, 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 there's a lot of um, sexism in in the in the world and in the beer business, and so it's tough. Uh, she's kind of out there as the tip of the spear, and so she's pretty much done it herself. There's really not uh, anything that um, that that I think we as a company have done. In fact, um, a, a, a brewing organization in the United States who will go on. Nate, a small brewers organization, called and said, hey, uh, Deb, we want you to be on our board of advisors because we have uh, a woman uh, on on the board and she is um, stepping down. And so we want you to come on. And she said, no, I'm not a woman entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm I'm not going to come as your token woman. And so uh, that's how she views it. She's she's not uh, she's not a woman entrepreneur. She's an entrepreneur. And the dream would be that someday that people are just accepted for their strengths and weaknesses, not for who they, you know, what they look like or what sex they are, what their chromosomes are. Amen. Awesome. 
but uh, we we uh, we we try in our brewery. We we don't differentiate. We have we have men and women in positions of authority. We have men and women in uh, you know as brewers, uh, and we try to uh, you know we don't actively like keep quotas or or anything like that. But we hire the best people we can find, and sometimes it's a man, sometimes it's a woman. I mean, in this day and age, you know, since whatever it is, Title IX, <laughs> in my experience, uh, there's a lot of women here that kick my ass. So uh, there's really no difference. <laughs> no difference. It's, and, and I mean, I mean, you know, there. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that what I mean by that is uh, people have are capable no matter what their sex are. Yeah, agreed. That's awesome. So I have one more question, then I'm going to hand it off to someone else. Um, you were years ahead of everybody else when it came to making sours. And I'm just curious what it was that led you down that path when nobody else was doing it, because some of my favorite beers are from that line. So I'm just wondering what led you that way. Well, you know, that's, uh, that's, a, a, a really, we built the brewery because of sour beers and sour beers are obviously a small part of our business, but the idea was to make sour beer when we started the brewery. So what had happened was when I was an apprentice brewer in, uh, near Munich, um, one winter time, one winter, we, we, uh, it was 1986. We, we went on, we rented a car and we drove to Belgium and we visited uh, breweries in Belgium, and I went to um, the uh, Lindemann's Brewery, um, and uh, which is obviously a well-known great uh, brewer at Lambic and sour beers and fruit beers and all these things. And we went, and uh, it was just in those days, it was just a little tiny farm, uh, very rustic, out in the middle of nowhere. And it was raining out, and we went, and, and I was with my wife and, and our two little daughters. I think. Uh, he was one year old and Nicole was probably five. So we showed up and, you know, I don't speak French and I don't speak Dutch. And we literally just because I'm such a beer geek, we drove up and I went and knocked on his front door and Ren Rennie Lindemann, who was the um, owner and brewmaster at that time, uh, I, I said, you know, in, in my best uh, fake French that I was a brewer from America and could we see the brewery. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I think sometimes when people see you with two little, you know, two little kids, it's kind of like, how can we say no? So he uh, took us around the brewery and he pretty much spent the whole day with us. And he let us take pictures and he, he told me how he made his beer, um, uh, which was really kind of cool. So I came back home and I um, had a little pilot brewery and I started thinking around and with... Uh, you know, lactobacillus and botanomyces and cherries and brewed beer up in our attic, in, the, in our hot attic. And I just, it took six years, but I figured it out. And I thought, you know, this is really cool. Um, so I always loved um, sour beer, even back then. Nice. All right. I think that will head it off to Nick. I think Nick said he had some questions. Yeah, dude, just couple easy ones but i, I want to if i can first i want to convey a question from the chat um two-part question do you get a lot of offers and co for collaborations with other breweries and do you have any brewing companies are there any brewing companies that you would personally like to work with um we we have done collaborations and from time to time people ask 
but uh, generally we say no, and uh, really because we're we're kind of um, we do things the way we do things, and we're kind of quirky. And um, I find that sometimes collaborative beers are like both both groups are trying too hard, and the, and it shows in the beer that um, uh, you know they're they're I don't I wouldn't want to say showing off, but they're like they're trying too many like I'm going to try crazy things you're going to try crazy things now it's crazy things squared and oftentimes that makes for flavor that's maybe um, not marriage so um, we generally um, don't do it but we have done it with uh, brewers in Europe I did it with a brewery in Sweden I did it with a brewery in Belgium um, as far as breweries that I, I would love to work with. I, I'm friends with, the, um, he's retired now, but the brewmaster of the Augustina Brewery. Um, I would uh, think it'd be fun to do something with them. Also, um, uh, Schneider, uh, uh, Peter Drexler at the Schneider Brewery in Kielheim, Germany. They make Schneider Weiss. Uh, I know he's done um, collaboratives with my buddy Garrett Oliver, and uh, I think even with other brewers. Um, I'm also, uh, I, I love, I love uh, Vinny and Natalie uh, at Russian River Brewing, and I think that they're spectacular brewers, and they would be fun uh, to work with. I, we also do Sierra Nevada, actually, which was also fun. They're, they're a, a wonderful group of people. That que that question came from Jay in the chat, so Jay, thank you. So I have a couple questions. Um, we, you, we know you don't distribute outside of the state of Wisconsin. Obviously, some, you know, R Rob and Wendy, they, they, they work to get, you know, your beer to their house, to their homes. We got a guy. Where, what's that? We got a guy. You got a guy? His plug. His plug hooked him yeah, up. Yeah, plug. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the farthest you've ever seen your beer drank? Like, in a, like, like a different country or? Yeah. In Europe, uh, in uh, in like Switzerland, because New Glar Glarus is a canton of Switzerland, so there okay. are a lot of people, uh, people of Swiss descent, that live in uh, New Glarus. So I've seen it in Switzerland. I was um, we we have um, we have draft horses, Frisians, Frisian draft horses. If you're familiar with them, they're they're those kind of medium sized, all jet black draft horses with long manes and long feathering, beautiful horses. And um, we were having a problem. The village didn't want us to have horses because they were uh, worried about uh, too much horse manure. And there was somebody on the on the city council that had a thing about horse manure. And so <laughs> we ended up calling it manure gate because we almost weren't able to get the horses. But in any event, he might have driven his car into a manure cart back in the yeah. 50s. I don't know. Yeah, something, <laughs> uh, something bad happened in, in his past, but um, <laughs> I, I was in Germany uh, at a little Gosthaus, a little pub in, in a little town in the middle of nowhere. Again, it's wintertime. I'm always in Germany in the wintertime. It was snowing outside, and I'm sitting there minding my own business, drinking a beer all by myself, and, and, and this guy walks by, and he looks at me, and he, double, he does a double take, and he was German, and he looks at me, and in perfect English, he says, what's going to happen with your horses? And I, it blew me away. Like, how, how did, I mean, like, like, I'm in the middle of nowhere in a little country town. How did somebody, how did you know? And um, 
he said, well, I don't know, internet, and walked by. Like, number one, he had to know the drama du jour that we were facing. So I, I guess in the end, it's a small world. The moral of the story is even if you're in a pub in Germany, you got to behave yourself. Ain't that the truth. <laughs> so, I, so oh, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. So I, I had one more question. Then I'm yeah, going go to for it. turn it over to Dan. So uh, Ken was kind enough to introduce New Glarus to me uh, several years ago, back, I don't even know how long ago. And I, one and one of the questions I was going to ask prior to today was, do you still make serendipity? And it's still shown as a beer on your on your on the yeah, website. Yeah, we and it. serendipity was by, out of all the beers, and I'm not a big fruit beer guy. By far one of my most favorite beers, yeah. especially a fruit beer. It, it just it, it blew me away. Oh, dude, that's oh, that's oh, yeah, all right. So uh, every year uh, or every other year. You know, that beer came about because Belgian Red, um, yeah. there was a, you know, there was a, there was a crop failure. The cherry trees were blossoming and they got a frost and then they blossomed again and they got a frost and then it happened a third time. So there was, we used Wisconsin cherries. There was no cherries. And, and so we had a little carryover from last year. And my wife said, uh, what are you going to do? You got to come up with something. So um, I said, well, I can get, you know, I can get apples, I can get cranberries and I'll, I'll mix them together and come up with something. And we, I mixed all these fruits and we, we did test fermentation and said, yeah, this is actually pretty good. And so it was a serendipitous event, hence the name serendipity. Nice. So, so with, with that said, you, you, you classify serendipity as part of your thumbprint series. What exactly is the thumbprint series? Well, we have uh, groups of beers, and they're all marketed towards different different groups. So we have our year-round beers, like, uh, like Moon Man and Two Women and Spotted Cow. And then we have uh, our seasonal beers, like uh, we make Staghorn Oktoberfest or Dancing Man, Hebe uh, uh, Weiss, uh, Totally Naked, uh, Light, Light Longer. So we, we do these beers seasonally. And then we have what are called thumbprints. And the thumbprints are in four packs. They're higher higher price beers, higher cost, and they're they're usually higher end, more impactful beers, like a double IPA or our fruit beers because they're more expensive to make. So the mm-hmm. thumbprint, you know, it's sort of like a, a maker's mark. It's just the thumbprint mm-hmm. handmade. Uh, and they're and they're more uh, esoteric or more impactful beers um, than say our regular seasonals or our year. Okay. Any chance that we're going to see a, a New England IPA in the th- in the in the uh, thumbprint series? Or are you like not a fan oh, at all? I'd love to make one because I think it's a. I love. I, I think they're great. I think the beers that uh, I taste come out of New England, I really really appreciate. Especially as a fruit beer brewer, I love that they're able to extract that type of character. But it's um, not something that Deb has any interest in doing simply because I believe she doesn't want to be chasing. Because there's, uh, you know, I think you I, you can't go to a brew pub. There's eight, what eight thousand breweries. I bet there's means that there's twenty four thousand New England IPAs already. <laughs> and so she doesn't like us to, to chase. Because frankly, if we did that, you know, then you're always like, well, I don't think it's as good as whatever breweries beer. So we try not to try to try to go our own way. Don't want to be part of that conversation. Yeah, totally, I would, totally get it. I'd love to do it. We've done it. I've done it in our pilot plant. We've made, okay. I think, are really great ones, but um, they never see the light of day. <laughs> 
right, I'm gonna pass it over to to to, to the other Dan, the big machine Dan. Yeah, I got one question here. Uh, thank you, Nick. So I was looking at your website as well for the beers you make. I see you have a beer called Cabin Fever. Do you still make that? Yeah, we do. So my my curiosity about this is there's a pretty big brewery with a lot of power behind it now, especially the last couple of years, making a beer with the same name. Have you gotten any pushback about that as far as the name goes? Um, I believe we've had that name for, um, I don't know how many years, but... 20. So, uh, I would, I, I think I, I, I'm, I don't really know because I don't deal with the business end and That's these fair. kind of things happen on a pretty regular basis. Um, but I, I would imagine we've been using that name so long that, um, I don't, I'm, I'm not worried about it. Uh, and in fact, sometimes I don't know what happened with this beer, but sometimes people will call us and, you know, Brewing is somewhat collaborative and we all pretty well get along. And it's sort of like Deb might say, look, you can use a name, but you can't sell a beer in Wisconsin. Um, and that's kind of an agreement that we, we come up with. Gotcha. Well, right. I am going to uh, come in. Does anybody else have any other uh, questions for Dan? I, think... I have one last question. Wendy's got one more awesome. question, Dan, and then we'll kind of cut <laughs> so... you loose. Speaking of um, beers that you make, my favorite uh, New Glarus beer is actually Fat Squirrel. Okay. Love that beer. My dad and I both did. I would send a girl every time she would go to Wisconsin to visit her family, she would pick some up for me to bring it back. And I really miss it. And I know that there that you have to change things up and try new things in order to keep everything moving fresh. Is there any beer that you would make that you would love to see come back? Well, uh, Fat Squirrel is in the tanks right now. Uh, we're oh, you just made my day. Yeah, so <laughs> um, but for me, you know, like we were, like we started, it maybe kind of come full circle. We make a beer called Hometown Blonde, which is uh, a, a Czech-style pilsner. And that beer, I wish, um, was a year-round beer because uh, we only made, like this year, we made like 40 barrels of it. And we only sold it in basically in Green County in New Glarus. Um, and so I, I, uh, I got a bunch in my refrigerator and I would love, um, I'd love to make that beer, uh, all year round, but you know, like we were talking earlier, uh, Pilsners are not, you know, don't really set the world on fire. All right, Nick. All right. I don't know if this is going to be the last question, but we'll, we'll take a stab at it. Lions versus the Packers this weekend. Lions are getting six points right now as the underdog. What do you do? Do you take the points or do you take Green Bay? <laughs> well, by law, as a Wisconsinite, for religious reasons, <laughs> I have to answer Wisconsin, Green Bay. I don't even know why you're asking that, Nick, because <laughs> that is by I, law. You know what? Because I have to ask, because from a Lions fan to, a, I'm assuming, a, a Packers fan, I have to ask that question. And that's, well, all, I heard on, that's well, all I heard on the radio today. The, the important thing is, the important thing, do the Packers cover, though? Do the Packers cover the six? Do, 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 here, you don't think so? Here, so here's, here's my theory, and I'll pass it back to Ken. Aaron Rodgers has a chip on his shoulder. It's a revenge tour. They drafted Jordan Love in the first round. They traded up to get him. Aaron Rodgers has something to prove. He is going to prove it to, to the ownership of the Green Bay Packers, which are, by the way, the fans, the season ticket holders. 
Green Bay will not only cover the spread, but I say they're going to decimate Detroit. Ouch. <laughs> and that is from a season ticket holder to the rest of the world. Where's the game at this weekend? In Lambeau. Oh, yeah, they're done. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> all right. Dan, thank you so much for uh, joining us. I appreciate you taking an hour out of your uh, Friday evening to uh, talk to us about beer. What was that? I'm going to go home and eat dinner now. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, uh, you go home. You've earned that dinner. We appreciate you. Um, we will be right back with the news with the Better on Draft podcast. Thanks, folks. That was fun. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.
are back to 35 Better on Draft podcast. Uh, let's kind of go around the table once again. I am still drinking from the uh, Coca-Cola oh. plant. What kind uh, of liquor you got in there, Ken? Cherry Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Um, no liquor in here still. <laughs> I am uh, sticking on my regimen for uh, um, high-intensity painkiller. No, no, I'm not taking anything crazy, Advil and Tylenol. Um, oh, boy. I know, I know. Um, uh, it's the flexorol that worries me. Uh, Nick, what are you drinking over there? Well, it's not who's that lady, but who's that woman? Who's that from, woman? From Witch's Hat Brewing. Which we do have a review up on our website, betterondraft.com. Uh, Wendy, what are you drinking over there? I have moved on to a new Glarus Moon Man. <laughs> New Glarus Moon Man still sticking, still sticking with the New Glarus Robert. Uh, what are you uh, pouring in there? You're muted. Put the bottle down. Hey, hey, there I am. How you doing? It's <laughs> <laughs> a national. It's a national slogan for 2020. You're on mute. <laughs> Better on draft. I can't hear you. <laughs> So Rob, what do you what'd you so, pour? So I finished. What's that, Rob? We can't hear you. <laughs> I ignore it. Just, just go. <laughs> cow. Uh, I am pouring two things right now because this bottle was definitely sitting in the cellar for maybe too long. So I said, all right, I'm going to open it. Uh, it's the main beer co's lunch, and I am slightly double fisting with a little bit of the good stuff that's here. Most people know what this bottle is. This is some Blanton's. So we're hitting a, a bit of that. Well, uh, Rob, Rob's going to have a fun night tonight. Dan, what about you? How can you top that? No, I can't. Number one, I'm, I'm drinking a Creekside Coffee Brown. <laughs> can't touch what Rob's doing. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I, pro- I probably could. Hold on. Let me, I'll, be, I'll be right back. Oh, geez. No, no. I'll be right back. I'm going to put y'all on mute. I'll be back. <laughs> All right. Well, as always with segment two, here is Robert with the beer news. Robert with the beer news. All right. Me with the news. Uh, probably going to go a little bit off script for for what what we generally have is as we normally have obviously the document that we all share but there's a couple news articles that kind of stuck out to me earlier today uh that i was getting a chance to kind of take a look at so trying to keep things i guess a bit more lighthearted in in terms of the news and one of the things that we ran into this week uh was that the world's strongest beer, just being a collaboration between uh, two rival breweries, uh, decided to come up with a beer that is clocking in at a rather alarming 57.8% ABV. Uh, oh. so this was made in collaboration with Brewdog and Schorschbrau. Well, hopefully I got that right. <laughs> I just read it and I just took a shot at it and hopefully I got it right. Um, but these two rival breweries decided that they were going to make this particular beer. Obviously, BrewDog has been known to make some very heavy ABV beers. Um, I'm trying to remember because I thought there was one that was called Snake Venom, 
which I thought that clocked in at something like 67%. So I was a little kind of taken aback with the whole world's strongest beer when I, like, for memory's sake, I don't think this was actually the strongest beer I think I've seen, but, you know, this is what they are calling it. Um, so this thing is is was actually on sale, um, I think, starting yesterday. Uh, I actually went on the site just to mess around and see. I was like, all right, let's see if I could actually order this thing and, and have it shipped to the U.S., which, no, you can't. Um, even though on the site that it gives you ability to choose the United States, it just completely strips away the, sh- the shipping options. So that pretty much told me, all right, I'm not going to be able to get this beer. <laughs> um, however, I guess that just it, it sold out pretty damn quick. And really for anybody that got their hands on it, great. But if you guys got your hands on a 57.8% beer, um, which actually is an Eisenbach, I'll throw that in there too. Um, but if you got your hands on a 57.8% beer, would you really try to drink that or share that or just kind of have it on the shelves just to just kind of say, hey, I got this strong ass beer? I would just sit there and stare at it. I mean, I have a shot of it. I mean, we're this is, we're in liquor. A range, shot of you know? beer. What do you? But at fifty-seven percent, I mean, it's what liquor. do you actually do? Shot. With this? Yeah. What are you? You're not sitting down and drinking a glass of this. I mean, well, you, here's here's another thing: is that I would think for something that is going to be that strong, that it's going to be relatively expensive. I mean, we've seen Sam Adams Utopias. That's sucker right? for two fifty, three hundred dollars for 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 you know, that container. Um, this thing was selling for about 38 bucks. Oh, that's asking for trouble. That's, that's how much you buy a fifth of vodka for. Like what the hell? $38 for how big? Um, from the looking at the bottle, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the, um, you know, the, the, I guess the, the, the size, uh, but looking at the bottle, I'd probably say that that might be a 750 milliliter. Might be a little smaller. There's no way you can drink that on your own, unless you're some Ooh. hardcore alcoholic. No. You're gonna hate, <laughs> you're gonna hate yourself for a day or two after that if you do. I mean, if you live, yeah, you will hate yourself a little bit. But that oh, is, I'm looking so up. So horrible. the bottle, the bottle size is 40 milliliters. Oh. oh. Oh, it's not seven fifty. No. <laughs> I guess it, it, it's like looking at a box of cornflakes. It's just like, like it's, it's, it's a some. shot. <laughs> it's literally a shot of booze for thirty some odd dollars. No oh, hell no. Y'all can keep that. Someone else will buy it. I mean, it did sell out, so somebody did buy it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, there, there comes a point in time where you know it's to be honest, it's gig, gimmicky. That's all it yeah. seems it is. It's just yes. gimmicky. Like, yes. I, I, I see what they did. It's great. Obviously, they're not going to do it again, so it's going to be a mm-hmm. rare collectible. And, you know, that that new money beer chaser is going to want to get it, to have it, to say he has it. Um, and that's that's pretty much it. It's it's as gimmicky as the giant um, – I'm trying to think of the name of that brewery that has those giant-ass bottles. And I'm talking like <laughs> the the gimmick fake champagne bottle, like giant like, size. Oh. What's that? Like the big buck inflatable? You're talking about like this – like the talking, mag- Are we talking bigger than a Magnum? Uh, like, yeah. No, it's, I, it's, the, it's the big thing that's like, like 
like the size of a desk, basically. Didn't I think didn't Bells do that once with Black Note? That was like the huge ass bottle mm. like that. I, I, what's funny is, is that I always walk in when I walk into the tuna liquor over in Rochester Hills, just south of M59 on Rochester Road. He's got one of them, but I still like, I can picture the bottle in my head, but I still can't do it. If anyone can like remind me of it, it's basically, I want to say it's easily like, you know, a, a five liter bottle or like a, like a glass bottle. That's like five liters. It's big. It's a cork top or like, you know, like a, a Grolsch pop top kind of thing. Uh, but I, I just can't think of the name of it, and it's going to annoy me probably for the next however long until I message Jack to tell me what. <laughs> Side is. note about Zatuna, I did I did see a post from them that they are now stocking Toppling Goliath, so I, another reason to go. I did see that Toppling Goliath is going to be on the list of uh, breweries upcoming for interviews here shortly, uh, which I know a lot of us are excited for, especially now that pseudo Sue and a few other of the beers have uh, gotten here. Um, but yeah, the, the 57.8% ABV beer um, and that snake venom was higher uh, from what I was looking at too, which was 67.5%. Um, but in the end, I just, couldn't i wouldn't even bother it just i feel like it like just wouldn't taste good <laughs> right and i mean it kind of goes back to what you said about being gimmicky i mean brew dog has been kind of known to do things that are gimmicky with having you know their hotel that you can take baths and beer uh <laughs> and the founders changing their names to elvis um and and dropping stuffed cats from the sky like freaking wkrp in cincinnati's turkey drop <laughs> just doing crazy shit. So, I mean, it's it's kind of. I feel like for Brewdog, it's kind of a Brewdog thing. They 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 want to do gimmicky things, and here they have a, a gimmicky beer that you know some people might be in search of, despite the fact that it's forty milliliters. And I mean, hell, we we have vaccines that are more than fucking forty milliliters. I'm so. not gonna lie, I. Even though I, I do also think it's gimmicky and I don't understand why you would want to make a beer that is that high in ABV. Um, if it fell into my lap, I would definitely try it just to see. Does it really taste as bad as I think it would? But, I mean, we like liquor that's similar to that, right? Yeah, but look at, you know, this is almost as if it's the 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 way it is not necessarily sold but packaged it's almost like a distilled beer um and we've had distilled beer on the show like we had tenacity on who had distilled beer um i brought 12 bolt i believe onto the show which was a distilled beer from axel it's you know that's that's where it is in the size and i i maybe if you would give me a fifth at that cost i might think about it but at this point it just seems gimmicky and pricey to where i just don't even want to bother because I'm not going to drink it. I'm going to stare at it and I'm not going to share it because it's only one and a half, not even one and a half ounces. So, but I mean, I don't know. I just, it just I doesn't mean, make sense to for, me. For, for those who drink mead, I mean, that basically would be the cost of a couple ounces from almost anything from Shrams. So, <laughs> yeah. Cost of a sample from Shrams. So. Right. And Shrams. <laughs> Good stuff, which actually, side note with them, I'm not sure that anybody had saw the news with Shram's Mead, is that they are shutting down their tasting room permanently, at least 
from what they had said on Facebook that they are shutting it down permanently, um, obviously because of everything that has been happening um, all around us with the coronavirus and the fact that they are not able to um, have the tasting room open and still allow for social distancing. I mean, when you look at it, when you walk into, for those who have not been to Shram's uh, and been to their tasting room, uh, walking into their tasting room is basically like walking into someone's huge master bedroom, but you still only have about roughly 80 square feet of walking space. There, there's not a lot of room in there and it's just not feasible. So they are shutting down a tasting room, um, but obviously production is still going on. They're still making bottles. You're still, for those who are in Michigan, you can still go and pick up your bottles. They're still there. They're not going anywhere. It's just that unfortunately the tasting room is going to have to shut down. So yeah, um, they shut down the tasting room, but they picked up Arizona for distribution. So that's kind of a bigger win than an 80 square foot room. Right. So that, that definitely, it, it takes away from um, a, a few events that uh, uh, a couple of guys, I will say, for the culture that were planning on going there next year. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. Uh, but another uh, news thing that I want to bring up, uh, which I, I'm curious of your, of your guys' take on this one, is that um, some, some news uh, from the, uh, the Kristen Bell household. Uh, which apparently she had walked in on her daughter's drinking non-alcoholic beer during Zoom class. Um, basically, uh, her, her daughters, uh, Lincoln, who was seven, Delta, who was five, um, apparently they were, at least one of them, was attending school over Zoom and found that they were sipping Old Duels, which um, for, for those who know, uh, the history between Kristen Bell and, of course, Dak Shepard and Dak Shepard and his podcast, Armchair Expert, that he ta- he openly talks about his issues with alcoholism and how he's been clean uh, from drinking for well over a decade. Uh, but clearly they still keep old duels in a house because now apparently these kids are drinking old duels. Um, so I guess I kind of wonder with you guys is that, you know, you've got these children who are drinking non-alcoholic beer. Yeah, it's non-alcoholic, but is that something you would you would allow your kids to do? And I guess if or if not, is that something that you feel that would kind of set them up for, I guess, an impending adult alcoholism that may kick in uh, at, at some point in the future? So is it, remind me, because I can't remember off the top of my head, maybe you guys know, was it Heineken that had the commercial with a guy drinking a beer in the car while he was pulled over with a cop for the Heineken NA, or was that a different one? I can't remember off the top. I don't remember that one. It's, it's recent like this year too. I remember seeing it, but the point being, if you're going to advertise, you can drink these beers and drive a car. I mean, I don't know too many kids that like the taste of beer. It's kind of a, your taste buds kind of have to mature a little bit before you're drinking. Uh, you are, like, you, know, duels. you are correct. It was two years ago when this came out, it's a Heineken 0.0. <laughs> so if we're going to advertise that, I mean, is it really that bad of a thing? Uh, I know that's behind it though. Right. Because even though it's non-alcoholic, it's still beer. 
And if it's kids drinking beer, regardless of it being non-alcoholic, <laughs> the stigma still follows with the, I would say the general public that they're they're still drinking beer one way or another. I was drinking beer doing it during school. <laughs> <laughs> oh Which, come on! Now. I mean, no, let's what? be honest. Every one of us have had done something during school that we shouldn't have. Yeah, can so. <laughs> Wow. I was to say we can't really judge kids drinking non-alcoholic or any beer because they all do it. Every generation does it. So no, I don't oh, know if I do I, it. I think this is a little bit different just because of the age five and seven, um, as opposed to you know I was I was getting uh, wine cooler type drinks from my dad when I was twelve, thirteen. I was sneaking seven and sevens when I was like nine and ten. Um, so, but my parents weren't. Like at, at that age, my parents were giving it to me, but you know, my dad giving me one Mike's hard lemonade wasn't going to destroy me. Um, I think Dan's kind of right in regards to God damn it. In regards <laughs> show and a half later. Yeah, I said that it. was, you went a while. Um, I didn't say anything for the first half of the show. Uh, <laughs> um, with that in mind, like I, I can't, I can't focus anymore. No, uh, <laughs> Like I just I just don't see that it's too much of an issue because it's non-alcoholic beer. Obviously, in with the uh, redemption story that is Dak Shepard being 15 years clean, you know he might partake in non-alcoholic beer, which he finds, you know, and I think that's what we're seeing a lot of um, in the uh, this country. Like we're slowly behind England, but a lot of people are wanting these non-alcoholic beers. Um, because I think it's just a, an overcorrection of all the high ABV beers. Um, they want to drink, they want to drive, um, and they don't want to drink and drive. So I think, you know, if, if you're teaching them correctly, I feel like it's the exact same way as if you should teach your kids what Coca-Cola does to you, like what sugar, what caffeine does to you. I think it's a great learning experience to where you're not going to get the alcohol, but understand that, you know, if you drink the regular beers, like things are going to be a lot different. You shouldn't do that. So, um, and that's in comparison to like drinking Coke versus drinking water, milk or tea or something like that. Like the, the, the differences. So, um, I personally don't think I, you know, if, if they liked it and they liked Heineken 0.0, it's not beer. Like it's, there's non-alcoholic. So yeah, go for it. Um, but if, you know, I don't know, I think, I think it's a great learning tool so. and I, I guess that kind of leads into another question i thought of which i know this this gets a little political because it but it gets a little political in terms of beer is that it goes into the drinking age should we be in a position where the drinking age like other countries should be lowered now granted of course the question that question kind of goes with the stipulation that there needs to be obviously some sort of education of some sort uh, in terms of alcohol and, um, you know, its effects and, you know, your tolerance and, and things of that nature. Uh, but is there a point where you think, we'll say in the next 20 years, that we could get to a point where the drinking age could be dropped down. I mean, hell, if, if kids at 18 can fight for a country, you know, that's always been one of the arguments is that if you can fight for a country at 18, you should be able to drink a beer. Um, should we at least get to that point? Or should we actually get to something 
maybe get to something like Germany, where you know Germany is what fourteen. <laughs> Can we? Really? Get we shouldn't. We shouldn't. No, most of Europe is stupid like that. Like uh, Iceland was twenty. You know, Holland's eighteen or nineteen. A lot of places are like that. No, we shouldn't. We don't need. This is the one one of the few things the U.S. does right. Still, it's keeping the drinking age where it is. We don't need to up the number of drunk drivers. You know, we tried this before. We had kids going to school drunk in high school. You know, we don't need to add the stupidity of the 18 to 20 year olds because we were all there. We all know how dumb we were. I don't even think yeah. you turn off at 21. Ain't that true? But we don't need to add alcohol legally to that age range on top of everything else. I've always been under the impression personally um, that if you have a military ID, um, you can drink, smoke, do whatever the fuck you want. Um, I, 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 that that's a personal belief. I believe like the, the drinking age at 21 is fine. I believe the, the smoking age at 21 is fine. Um, but I, I, agree that if you want to enlist in the military that's after you know high school 18 years old you're perfectly fine and if you want to enlist in the military so you can drink at 18 okay but i i think that you have the right to do it and if you decide to do it then you get these added benefits of being because i mean even people who are 18 19 20 they're being shipped off to countries that where they can drink at that age um and two they're definitely drinking on bases and they really don't card people on the base themselves um or if you walk in with a military uniform most you know, bartenders aren't going to card you. Let's be honest. Um, I think we've had this conversation before. I think I remember seeing, um, you know, a few bartenders in our chat talking about that. You know, if you walked in in military uniform, they didn't card you. They didn't care. Um, but that's me personally. Like I, I agree that the decision should be 21 and up. Um, but if you, want to fight for our country, then you have a military card. You know, like I, I have a friend, uh, my friend Brock who fought in the military. If I was 18 and he was 18 and he fought and he came back and he can drink and I can't, that's no big deal. He did, he did his part. I, I sat back. I, nice. I dropped out of college four times. <laughs> <laughs> I think what, what, what brings me to that question, I keep thinking of, uh, uh, cause I've been listening to a lot of, uh, the comedy channels on Sirius and they tend to play uh, one of the skits from uh, Jeff Jeffries uh, called Freedom, but spelled F-R-E-E-D-U-M-B. That's Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries, sorry. Uh, and just talking about, you know, you know, the, the drinking age and, and how when you should be able to drink. So it just, it, I guess it just kind of came from there. Uh, so just curious. Uh, one more that I've got, uh, I was looking at this one where it was some, some condo in South Florida, uh, which was being called the house of Budweiser. Uh, and this condo, I guess if you guys, uh, for, for our guys, if you go through our, uh, news articles, it's the last one that I posted down there just so you see a picture of this thing. Um, so this condo, uh, basically is about 815 square feet. Um, and it is just simply lined in cans of Budweiser that is basically used for the decor. Um, it is from walls to ceiling that it is literally lined with cans of Budweiser as if this stuff was wallpaper. 
and Budweiser is looking uh, to find out who bought this thing because they are wanting to award these condo owners uh, with a whole bunch of free beer. Um, couldn't find the actual listing, but basically this thing, it looks like it's, it, from what it says, it is it's a two-bedroom, uh, two-bathroom space. Uh, but like I said, it is completely and utterly covered floor to ceiling um, with cans of, of Budweiser used for the design. Um, I don't see how I could live in something like that. No. <laughs> But I'm curious if any of you would even dare to to do that, knowing that you really can't decorate the walls. I mean, it, from the pictures, I honestly, I'm not. I'm guessing they didn't put cans in that spot so that they could actually hang these frames that are in here. Um, but it doesn't look like you can do much with it other than take the cans down and put some extra decorations up. For those of you listening on the podcast, obviously you can watch us live over at betterondraft.tv every Friday at 7 p.m. Or you can join us facebook.com forward slash betterondraft. I was showing the photos while you were talking, Rob. Um, and as uh, my my grandfather would always say um, whenever we would do like cans and stuff, like I'd go return cans for him. Uh, that's a ten of cents. And that's a lot of ten of cents. <laughs> uh just a lot of tennis over and it, over. Again. It must be in a in a no deposit state. Yeah, I mean, it, all, a lot of all they did was just paste a bunch of Budweiser cans onto the wall. It didn't doesn't really seem like it seems like a lot of effort for not really much. Right. And who drank all that Budweiser? I mean, that's like two nights worth. Like, <laughs> why? It's, that's it's two nights wasted. I mean, two yeah. nights wasted drinking, and then like. Whatever. It probably took them a couple weeks at least to put all those cans up. Right, Let's for, be for, honest. <laughs> for, for those that are here in Michigan and and have to deal with uh, the rules that we have right now with the number of cans you can take back to a store, um, this condo alone, it almost seems like you would be taking cans back for two weeks and you may still not be done. And like, if you were the only one that was taking cans back to the store and hit the limit for that day, you you could take a month <laughs> to return all of these. It's it, there's a just so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get let's get one more news article in before we call it a night. All right, let's let's see what else have we got in here. Um, so. Let's see, we're going to throw that. Yeah, we'll throw that one in there because um, we don't really bring this one up too much. And that um, being able to actually combine the love of beer and the love of ice cream, you know, for, for those that, that do enjoy those that we were talking about beer floats and being able to, you know, find that mix between, um, you know, a, a good beer and and some ice cream to put together. Uh, so I, I came across this brewery that uh, it actually was a brewery and an ice cream shop that was uh, somewhere in Ohio. I think it was like in, in Metro Cincinnati uh, that uh, was being able to basically uh, this, this guy was, was making beer. Um, I think there's a uh, craft uh, cream works uh, that well, actually they make the ice cream. 
but uh, that there is a brewery nearby that this guy was actually just taking his ice cream and pairing his ice cream with beer. Um, and, you know, I'm make, all ears. making some, <laughs> uh, the brewery that was down the street from is, is Grainworks Brewing, um, which apparently just, you know, just has a, a lot of variety of beers of which he's able to actually make those combinations with. Uh, I guess the question really, really to, to you guys is that have you ever made an actual beer float? And are there, I guess, are there any beers slash ice creams that you think would make a good pairing? Well, Dragon's, Dragon's Milk no. make a fantastic beer float. Yes, I have done it. And <laughs> with that one, you can pair it with a whole ton of different things. I did mint chocolate chip, which... You know, that's just kind of a standard here that in my family anyways, mint chocolate chip, but. But for, for the, the variants, you're, you're just talking just a regular dragon's milk, just a regular dragon's milk. You can, it, the possibilities are endless. If you start adding the variants in. <laughs> Cause there are so many and, and I know they just released their, their vanilla chai again. So yeah. I was curious with that. I, I'm, I have not done any of these yet, but it has definitely intrigued me. Um, so I, I'm going to start kind of looking at the collection. Uh, I think my issue is that I'm going to want to use something that's barrel aged and I feel like the bourbon barrel is really going to throw off the taste of the ice cream. Uh, Mm -mm. Really? No, because it's sweet. Hmm? All right. All right. I'm going to give it a shot guys. (laughs) (laughs) I have zero interest in doing this. Yeah. I don't want to add ice cream to beer. Uh, nope. I, I I think I would try it just to I, see what it's like, but I don't want to be a party pooper. I just don't like sweets. Like I've had maybe in the past five years, um, maybe five scoops of ice cream at most. Like, well, like I, I rarely talk to you right now. I rarely <laughs> have. Um, I just rarely have ice cream. Like every once in a while I'll, you know, maybe have like a, a McDonald's vanilla cone. Um, and that's like once every two years. Um, but I, I the machine work. Graham's off ice cream right now. So I have not had, um, ice cream in a, in a few months, actually. Um, it has not been easy during this pandemic to not have ice cream in my house. Let's put it that way. So putting ice cream and beer together just kind of makes sense because it's two of my favorite things. I don't know. I think I think I want to start maybe mixing beers again, uh, trying different uh, beer mixes. Uh, maybe I'll start doing that when I'm starting to drink again uh, next week. But I I don't know if I can do like I know Brown Dog Creamery, um, which there's a couple of them here in uh, Metro Detroit, uh, does like you know uh, ice cream and desserts with the beers. Um, as well as with cocktails, but for me, I just, I don't know. I just want beer. <laughs> I don't want anything else. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, but, I, but again, we've also talked about the fact that I don't like drinking beer when I'm eating. Like I want to eat food. I want to drink, you know, a, a, either a, a soda or a water and then I'll drink my beer before and I'll wait till after I'm done eating. I just don't like pairing my food with beer. Right. I do often choose to get my sugar through beer rather than sweets. So <laughs> I tell people all the time, I'm like, yeah, I save my sugar for having a beer later, but the way to do it. 
Well, um, guys, I know uh, I was a little bit worried earlier this week that we might not be able to get this uh, podcast done, but we did. Uh, my back is uh, strong. I'm going to go stretch it out uh, after this show, but I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Uh, once again, thank you to Dan over at New Glarus for coming out and uh, doing a great interview to uh, start off this show. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, Tavor, using the code R-O-B-E-A-R, that's Robert, North Center Brewing over in Northville, Michigan, and Zatuna Liquor over in Rochester Hills. Um, you can like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on Better on Draft. You can find us on Twitch and Untapped at BOD Podcast. It's Bod Podcast. And of course, our website's betterondraft.com and betterondraft.tv. And uh, that's going to do a 235 in the books. No game tonight. We're going to end a little bit early. Um, so I appreciate you all uh, coming by and staying. And no matter what you think of your beer, we think it's Better on Draft. Have a good night. Peace.